Jones. This show is all about the people behind the science of biotechnology and medical devices. Through the stories of the people, I hope that Lab Rats to Unicorns is able to describe the transformative process of you know, how an idea starts in the lab and eventually becomes a life-saving treatment or a product that, that helps patients with diseases. Life-saving. Life, life Well, I'm super excited today with my guest, a really great friend and an extraordinary leader, uh, Rithu Shah. She's the managing director here at Portal Innovations and leads our EX Cubed platform. Her expertise in the biopharma industry underpins her leadership in developing and enhancing the value of many of our portfolio companies. Rithu graduated from the University of Notre Dame, Fighting Irish, uh, with a BS in chemical engineering. Um, before joining Portal, she was the chief operating officer uh, with Pixis Oncology, a company we worked on together, I'm delighted to say. And she led the business operations in taking Pixis Oncology public and listing on NASDAQ, uh, raising almost $170 million in that transaction. And there she really focused on leading uh, Pixis's organization around portfolio and program management to move some of our key therapeutic assets forward and towards the clinic. Um, before jumping into that role at Pixis, uh, she was uh, a leading executive at Levo Biotherapeutics, and then before that, Avexis, before it was bought by Novartis, and then um, large uh, pharma companies like Baxter that eventually uh, was part of Shire as well, and then started her career at Anderson Consulting way back when. Um, so welcome to the show. It's really exciting to have you here to have a conversation. Thank you, John. I'm honored to be here today. One of the things that I think uh, will be interesting to talk about is just your perspective kind of from where you started. You know, obviously it began with um, an engineering uh, background and orientation toward science and STEM. But then if you fast forward to present day, it seems to me you're wrapping, you know, all of those, you know, technical skills um, into, you know, a, a bundle of entrepreneurial uh, offerings. And first and foremost, it might be useful to hear you talk a little bit about what you're doing present day at Portal, focused on launching, leading, and scaling the EXQ platform. A little bit about the platform and a little bit about what you're focused on right now. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, really excited to be here and talking about EX Cubed, which stands for Execution, Excellence, and Elevation. And when thinking about what we should do and how we can really help grow the biotech industry in Chicago and other emerging markets, uh, started really looking to see why they weren't growing as fast as um, other areas were, for instance, on the coast. And what we realized is that there wasn't enough resources and human capital and focus to help founders move from the science into an organization. And as I started seeing this in my evolution of trying to understand how can I get to 
um, to moving biotech forward, I thought about we need to have this opportunity where we can bring really skilled individuals who know drug development and help founders really focus on the science and free them and allow them to focus in that way and then extend their runway towards um, the next round. And so EX Cubed really just became this opportunity where we think about human capital and we think about how do we help organizations get to that next round of funding. Maybe it's through executive support, maybe it's through C-suites, maybe it's through portfolio management, and it could even be as basic as operational support around finance and HR and so forth. And so EXQ really takes the talent that is in all the existing cities around Chicago, Houston, Atlanta, Boston, and try to understand by working with the biotech companies how we can help them with some of those resource needs get to that next level of funding. Yeah, and so much, you know, of the um, uh, question around, you know, what it takes to build a great biotechnology company and furthermore, what it is required to have a sustainable life science ecosystem. There's always these obvious points around, well, there's no venture capital or, you know what, they don't have any lab space in the city. They don't have the infrastructure. One of the often overlooked pieces is the talent pool. And certainly in many parts of the country, there's there's great pockets of talent and different types of talent, especially in places where there's uh, large research institutions and medical centers. There's a spawning ground for great scientific talent. But one of the often overlooked talent levels is what it takes to recognize good science, build a team, and then build a company around it. Maybe you could dive in a little bit deeper around what EX Cubed is doing to kind of help put put together the capital in places where they companies can do the work, um, but building in a complementary fashion around some of that scientific core with some of the other levels of expertise that are required to get to the next stage, keeping in mind that a lot of our focus is oftentimes we're getting a company started at the seed level and trying to get it ready for a Series A raise. What, what's involved and what's needed beyond the scientists once you get a company up and going? Yeah, it's an interesting concept to me. And I think over the, um, the two plus decades of my career, what I always tell people when they're looking for opportunities is you need to look at the science or the product and you need to, you need to look at the people. And I think what founders and the scientists really bring is that amazing science and that target, the disease state we really want to focus on, the unmet need to the patient. Where I think that EX Cubed is really valuable is taking that to a business sense. And how do we take the science and develop it and get it to the patient as soon as we can. And so the talent and the people that I'm constantly looking for are those who've been in the industry for a while, who've had the experiences from a business perspective in doing drug development. So it could be working with uh, CROs or outsourcing um, work to um, services. It could be around uh, working with manufacturers and really trying to understand like how do you even Put those contracts together. What kind of questions do you ask? How do you know when to look for those kind of um, partners to work with? And so if you've done that before, then it becomes a little easier. And I find that a lot of our founders have spent a lot of their time in academia and they have built this great science. But where I'm looking to use EXCube is to help them 
understand how they can actually take that science and make it into a drug. And so our goal is to find talent who have done it before in these cities and help build and learn about those individuals build that talent bench, and then when we talk to the biotechs, understand where there might be some areas we can help them and fill them with people who've been in those type of roles before from a business perspective. Yeah, because, I mean, so much of the academic research and the field of science that's being pursued, um, oftentimes the technology itself can be world-class, first of its kind, very unique, and could be very impactful. But exposing that early idea and the innovator behind it to what happens to happen, uh, what what is required to happen next for that idea to kind of leave the university, get into a company, get capitalized, and be able to kind of realize the vision is quite a complex and challenging undertaking. In fact, a lot of times the money from the VCs won't come in until that next level of talent is there in place that they trust that understands what the market challenge is. So it's not just, you know, can you come up with a patented technology uh, around your science at, at the academic level? It's how unique is it? What application does it have? What problem is it solving that uh, patients are currently incurring where there's not really a, uh, you know, a way to, to solve that problem today? Because once that company gets up and going, if it's a therapeutic or a medical device, it's many years to get to the patient, right? So aiming in the right direction from the get-go, talent is really critical for even being able to um, take that original vision and the science and turn it into a commercializable product. What, what are some of the maybe common challenges that that first-time founder um, faces and maybe any you know uh, thoughts or even examples of you know how you're working to kind of resolve some of those challenges. Yeah, it's interesting as you were um, giving your comments now, John, is that scientists and founders have such great science that they're building, and our role is to help them work with the market and understand the market and understand what the patient needs are and think about those unmet needs and think about, is it first in class? Is it best in class? Like, what are they really going after? And those are some of the things that I think individuals who've done this over and over again can ask those questions. So when I look at areas where founders need some help, it's almost challenging founders and asking, well, what disease state are you actually going after? And understanding, is there going to be a need for that in eight years, in nine years? Because it does take so long to get to that end result for a therapeutic, maybe not as long for a med device. And so our role is coming in and asking those tough questions and almost trying to understand what the milestones they're trying to achieve so that we can sit with them and say, okay, this is a type of service we can come in with. So maybe let us do a competitive analysis on what else is out there, or let us think about how you want to build a team, right? So building a team in academia is very different than building a team in industry. And how do you create that camaraderie and that collaboration within a team? And then even taking it a step further, how do you work with partners? Um, I don't look at them as vendors. I look at them as partners. And how do you collaborate with them? Because you can't do it all in your lab anymore. You have to really think about how do you take it from the lab to creating an organization? 
Yeah, and when you say vendors or uh, partners in that context, things like manufacturing organizations, uh, clinical research organizations that oftentimes are also part of the critical path of, you know, taking the core team's capabilities and then leveraging it with resources that are complementary. Is that is that what you mean by partners? Exactly. I, it, you were mentioning funding, right? Mm-hmm. And so even in to get an investor to look at you, you need to start showing some data, mm-hmm. right? Is some data in animals or some, some data that shows success that it's working. But you can't do that. You don't have the resources or the capacity in your own labs or the to do that. And so where do you go to find that kind of partnership? And you go to those contract research organizations who have skills and and the processes in place to produce that kind of data that investors are gonna be looking for. They can also challenge the founder and the scientist on, look, we've done this multiple times. We know what investors are looking for. We know what the FDA is looking for. And we have the processes in place so that you don't have to spend as much money internally and you can do it externally. Yeah, no, that's really cool. And I think the whole concept is kind of, scaling or systematizing, you know, going from seed to series A ready companies and doing that at scale. And I think that um, one of the things I've often observed is um, just the eye opening experience it is to that first time founder and even some of the questions or um, points and terminology around what has to happen next are brand new concepts. And having people that are um, coming into the mix that are uh, demonstrating their own capability in their own field that's very different, if it's business or finance or uh, chief medical officer, CEO type individuals, um, there has to be mutual respect on both sides of the scientist who is kind of placing their program in the hands of this team that's moving it forward and marching it toward the clinic and, and ultimately to patients. What, if I go back kind of in time and kind of talk about what brought you here? Maybe you could talk a little bit about your early journey. What caused you to pursue the chemical engineering degree? I mean, that's you know a scientifically and technically challenging pathway um, to pursue. And I wonder, you know, does that frame, you know, does it continue to frame your lens today as you think about supporting um, next generation founders? But maybe you could just talk a little bit about what got you started, what inspired you to um, ultimately go and get your uh, degree in engineering. Yeah, it's um, it's a funny story actually. It's um, I am a woman of color, and I was really interested back then. So now I'm dating myself, but I really wanted to find and develop makeup for individuals for women who were of darker skin. And in the market at that point, there wasn't a lot of makeup around that cosmetics. And so I started looking into degrees. What can you really? What kind of degree do you need to develop? cosmetics. And chemical engineering is one of the top degrees to do that. And so I was all set and someone would ask me, well, why Notre Dame? And I said, because it's in the top three schools to go to for chemical engineering. And so I had my mind made up my sophomore year of high school that I was going to be a chemical engineer and I would go to Notre Dame. And I got to Notre Dame and I pursued my chemical engineering degree. And I started realizing that beyond cosmetics, there's chemical engineering can help with manufacturing, with developing food. And then I saw that they can help develop drugs. And that really started shaping my direction towards pharmaceuticals. Um, Additionally, my father has had a lot of health issues and I've spent a lot of time um, as a child and growing up 
in hospitals, in doctor's Mm. offices, and seeing that I can help people with my chemical engineering degree in that sense just really made me want to pursue it more. But when I was graduating from Notre Dame, I started interviewing and all my opportunities and um, offers were in manufacturing, which I really enjoyed. But all my classmates were interviewing with um, individuals who were going to in consulting. Hmm. And I couldn't understand why would you want to take your chemical engineering degree Hmm. and become a consultant? And um, so I decided to interview on a whim uh, Anderson. And I was so fascinated by the business mindset of what I can do with my chemical engineering degree in pharmaceuticals. And um, and that's what led me to into consulting, much to the dismay of my father. I didn't necessarily practice in chemical engineering after that. Yeah. But um, to be able to use that technical background, problem solving, um, breaking down challenges, mm-hmm. that's what really helped me in the business mm-hmm. and how I could really go forward in drug development because it was such a process degree and it was always looking mm. at the challenge and the issue and how do you how do you resolve, like what are the steps to get there and what are the barriers and how do you um, eliminate those barriers to get to the end result? Well, you probably had like a panoramic view of all the different um, challenges that some of your clients were running into at the time. Did you feel like that was a a nice training ground to kind of forge a nice diverse set of problems that, you know, ultimately you were able to take with you kind of along your career path and continue to refine some of those um, experiences to bring to bear um, even today with some of the companies you're working with. 100%. I would recommend to any single individual who's with, say, regardless of their degree, which they do out of university, and I always say go into consulting because the at the speed I was able to meet and work with multiple clients and learn their challenges and how to work with people is where why I think I am here where I am today. Because I just had such a diverse opportunity to be in, I think I was in about 11 different pharmaceutical hmm. companies throughout my career at Anderson Consulting. Oh, yeah. And it just taught me how to work with people and break down issues. Mm-hmm. And I use those skills to, to this day, yeah. I think that a lot of our roles are often about how do you work with people mm-hmm. and how do you read people and how do you see what their challenges are and how do you relate to them and think about what they're trying to solve. And that's why I think EX Cubed has been such an exciting thing for me to build because it's really around meeting those founders, understanding where their challenges exist and how I can help them overcome those challenges. And I mean, to me, it just seems like a very entrepreneurial path to begin with, kind of getting the the tactical training and then kind of a, a little bit of a maverick move going into consulting, seeing a diversity of different projects. And then ultimately you dove in, right? Is that when you joined um, Baxter or what, what happened after Anderson? Yeah. So I had been at Anderson Consulting or Accenture eventually um, for almost uh, 11 years when uh, Baxter approached me. Um, It was completely outside of my consulting role. Mm -hmm. And I grew up in the um, North Shore of Chicago. Baxter was in my backyard. Mm -hmm. And as determined as I was to become a chemical engineer from Notre Dame, I was determined at one day I would work at Baxter. Mm -hmm. And when they approached me, um, that's exactly it. I I was trying to figure out, should I leave consulting or should I go in the four walls of an industry? And I continuously help companies implement programs, but I never got to see 
the fruition of it, like hmm. see the end. Yeah. And so that's what really excited me about going into Baxter. Next, I was also able to work in portfolio program management and lead immunology in rare disease across R&D, manufacturing, mm-hmm. commercial, and launch. It was taking all of my consulting skills and putting them into one role. Yeah. And um, I just loved it. I loved being on the business side. I loved working with the, the scientists and helping them tackle those problems again, remove the barriers, going from the, the drug development to how are you gonna manufacture it, to how are you actually gonna get it out there and launch it. Like that, that whole process, that life cycle management is what really excites me. How did you feel? Again, back to the, what I would call very entrepreneurial, um, you know, risk-taking move to move down the path that you have, but even choosing to go into engineering um, as a woman of color. Can you talk a little bit about the challenges or experiences that you had? I mean, were, the, were there a lot of people like you that started on this path or that were, you know, able to kind of convene and mentor with you along the journey, or was it a, a lonelier path? It's, it was a lonely path. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, in school, we are graduating class in chemical engineering. There were only five females. Wow. Right? And yeah. I was the only woman of color yeah. in that graduating class. Yeah. Um, and then moving into consulting, it was very much a male-dominated mm-hmm. industry. Yeah. I'll say that there were some really important things that happened that really pushed me along. Mm-hmm. Um, one is that in consulting and specifically at Accenture, they had what was called business resource groups and there was a female business resource group and there was a lot of women who really championed each other Hmm. to move forward. Mm -hmm. And and then at Baxter, same thing, I was part of the the diversity and inclusion as part of my role Mm -hmm. in helping move that forward. But the most important thing that I feel like I really did was I put myself out there and I networked. Mm-hmm. And I learned, again, how to work with people. And I am very fortunate to say that I had I had and have mentors who have really been not only my mentor, but my advocates. Mm-hmm. And a few of them, I would even mention by name, Julie Kim, who's now the head of the U.S. Um, uh, business unit at Takeda hmm. has always been my mentor mm-hmm. and a strong female leader who I really respect and mm-hmm. has given me a lot of pointers along the way. Um, Jacopo Leonardi, who I worked with at Baxter, Baxter. I know that guy. Yeah, he's <laughs> such a great person. Always challenged me and pushed me. And Sean Nolan, who is the CEO of Avexis, um, who really made me think about there's nothing I can't do that I can go after everything. Mm. So I feel like, yes, it was a lonely journey. Mm. And even today, sometimes it's a lonely role. But there are mentors and advocates who have really um, helped me move forward in this in this process and who I feel like I can still reach out to. Yeah, but I mean, it's just uh, uh, looking back and seeing you know, your climb, you know, through Baxter into the senior leadership role that you ultimately had, and then making the decision to join Avaxis. Talk a little bit about that, because here you're at one of the largest companies in the world, you know, well-respected around the world, and also a personal objective of yours, as you've just described. And now you've decided you're going to step out of that and join up with, um, at the time, would have been a pretty tiny organization that, um, was was working on some very revolutionary, um, you know, gene therapy technology that 
maybe you could tell us a little bit more about and maybe just tell us also what was that like stepping from the role that you were in into that role and what was scary and what was rewarding about it? Yeah, so um, Accenture and then Baxter, Baxalta, Shire, they were big organizations. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I realized how large they were until I went to Vexus. And so when I walked into those organizations, the processes, the standard operating procedures, my role was clearly defined. Everything was in there. Performance management reviews, right? You had you had your swim lane, you knew how to move up in that swim lane, and you could see what the the goals were at each level. And so it was it was kind of almost written out for you. Mm-hmm. Um, as I was in those organizations, I I always say to people that you always want to continue to learn. Like that's my biggest thing. That's what drives me is learning. And I was starting to get to a place um, at Shire where I'm not sure if I knew if I can continue to learn in the roles that I um, was suited for. Mm -hmm. And I wanted something different. And I kind of put myself out there, which was the first time I had in a long time because all my roles, it had been like, what, 18 years since I had been looking for a new job. And um, and I started getting opportunities again in the big pharma. And I had an opportunity, an executive recruiter reached out to me and asked me if I would be interested in interviewing at Avexis. And I have to admit, I didn't even know who Avexis was, mm-hmm. right? I, it was just a smaller organization. And when I met them and the organization and had the opportunity to build a portfolio and program management team working on technology that was a cure for spinal motor atrophy Mm -hmm. for kids who have type 1 SMA and will die, 98% of them will die within their first two years. I just, it was such a new experience for me, but it was so scary because I was leaving behind what I knew most. And I came running home and I told my husband, I'm joining a startup. I'm employee 195. And he's like, are you sure that's a startup? And I said, well, coming from a company of 60,000, 80,000 people, it felt like a startup. And I joined my first day and I returned a couple of weeks later to Sean Nolan, who was my boss. And I said, where are my roles and responsibilities? And he joked with me, he's like, you can write them up if you like. (laughs) And so it was, it was such a new but scary opportunity mm-hmm. because that was my for, forte in, into biotech and right. I realized I didn't have to stay in my swim lane. Right. I could go and learn different functions and right. I could, um, and people valued my opinion mm-hmm. and that was exciting mm-hmm. and I got the bug. Yeah. I was I was set. I'm not. Yeah. I wasn't going to leave biotech anymore. Yeah, no, that's really interesting to, to hear you talk about kind of the differences between the large and the small, and the, the the scariness that goes with that too, and yet the opportunity to create, you know, and and you know move forward in maybe more nimble ways at the smaller organization. One of the things I wanted to touch on though was that you were really. Um, emphatic about your description around the purpose of Avaxis and the solution that you're providing to patients that really didn't have any other alternative solutions. Um, That seems to be a big driver too. Your ability to be very close to your end product, or in this case, your patient. Um, What was that experience like, um, especially with such a rare disease? So my first experience with that at Avexis was day four of my employment. And um, I saw a little kid running down the hall who must have been like two years old. 
two or three years old and he was his shoes were lighting up and Sean came by and he said did you see that little kid and I was like yeah those shoes are really cute and he said he got our our drug at day 27 he's running down the hallway Mm -hmm. now Mm -hmm. and he was there because we were having an all-employee meeting that afternoon and his parents got on stage and they looked at all the employees and said we're their heroes Mm -hmm. their kid wouldn't be there today without us Mm -hmm. And to have a parent or a family member say that to you is life-changing mm-hmm. because it doesn't matter if you're the one who's writing the protocol for that drug or if you're uh, manufacturing the drug or if you're putting the IT systems in place. Each person has a role and that all leads to being able to help a patient. And then my next role at Levo Therapeutics, I worked super close with the patient advocacy groups and we were running a phase three study. And I'll never forget a mom coming up to me at a conference and giving me a hug and saying, thank you, you've given me back my daughter. And when you have those moments, mm-hmm. you it, it kind of puts things in perspective. Mm-hmm. You realize that you actually had a role yeah. in helping someone. And I don't know if you can, I, I, I guess, when in biotech and in working in rare disease and being close to the patient and seeing that there is this end purpose um, is why I think also EX cubed has been so important for me because it's really helping the scientists to see that what they're working on can really have impact on someone. Yeah, that's really cool and different from your experience, although different kind of impact, you know, at a Baxter or Baxalta or Shire where you're connected to those same therapeutics and solving, you know, problems and helping patients, you know, in everything that you're doing at those companies, but maybe more disconnected than your roles at Avexis and Levo and really being connected to the patient and seeing the direct impact and almost responsibility at some point, you know, where you feel, you know, very vested in the um, treatment that you're providing, hopefully, that can, you know, ultimately get approved by the FDA and and treat these patients. Well, and then that story was kind of interesting on the business side, too, as I recall. I mean, Avexis had developed this unique uh, therapy, um, FDA approval, you know, kind of um, was occurring, and then um, you were acquired by Novartis, correct? That is correct. What was that like? I mean, so no, I'm even thinking about it through your eyes. Um, you left a large company, you went into a startup, and here comes a big company again. What is that like? And I think that is also representative of the biotech journey. It is kind of this symbiotic relationship. Part You mentioned partners earlier on, and oftentimes the key partners are the large company and the small company and the university kind of that, that started it all. But what, what was that like, kind of the realization that... Um, here we go, uh, like we're gonna be a bigger company again. Exactly, that's the thing that went to, through my mind. The one word was again, <laughs> like I just left this, right? I was Baxter, yeah. Baxter split into Baxter, Baxalta, mm-hmm. I went with Baxalta. Six months later, Shire is acquiring Baxalta. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I had just gotten to Avaxis and about four months into that role, um, I was approached by the leadership team and asked to help with the due diligence and lead the integration. And I learned so much, but I was able to use my previous skills from uh, the acquisition of Baxalta via Shire into this. And I think that really helped me. 
But as it was happening, I saw that I wasn't ready to leave that small, nimble biotech world. And I think that's what drove me to say, look, I love what I did at uh, at Avexis. I love the disease state we're going after and how we can help patients. I'm just not ready to go into big again. Mm-hmm. I really want, I, I enjoy working in multiple swim lanes. I enjoy the quickness and the speed we can make decisions. And so when an opportunity came up at Levo Therapeutics and I was going to be employee number six this time, yeah. not 195, yeah. I really had this opportunity to work in a true startup. Yeah. And then, you know, as good fortune and fate would uh, have it, um, we had the chance to meet each other um, when you ultimately took on the role to be the COO for Pixis Oncology. What was what was the motivation there? And was the, um, maybe I'm kind of foreshadowing here, but I remember and recall very deliberately your goal to try to stay in Chicago, you know, and try to you know, build, you know, uh, Pixis from here. I think we were entering the COVID timeframe at that. So everybody was working remotely to begin with. Um, But I wonder if you could talk a little bit about um, your experience at Pixis and its relationship to what you're doing now at EX Cubed and the kind of this local pride that we both share yes. in trying to move the needle in Chicago. And um, it would be just great to hear some of your insights around that transition and kind of what transpired after that. Yes, Pixis um, was super special and is super special to me. I had an opportunity to meet you, John, through that process and other really talented folks. And we were building this amazing organization focused on a technology to help individuals with unco- with cancer and the and it was su- it was different forms of cancer and through that process as I was building my team what I loved about the opportunity at Pixis was I didn't have to just focus in Boston that I could look at other locations because I was looking for the right talent mm. and what was exciting to me about Pixis oncology was that there was some great talent in Chicago and I could start growing this hub and spoke model of trying to build an office in Chicago to help achieve that milestone, those goals of Pixis Oncology. And that process at Pixis, as I was trying to hire people and look for talent, made me realize that that maybe was what was missing in some of the biotechs that were growing in Chicago themselves, Mm -hmm. that they didn't have exposure to the talent. And, um, and, And so I started associating myself and meeting people who really were focused in different areas, you know, be it manufacturing, supply chain, quality, so forth. And that is how I started thinking about like, how do I grow this in the city where I'm living in because we have such great academia that comes out of Chicago. In fact, as we both know, Pixis Oncology was formed at the University of Chicago. Mm-hmm. And I became of the mindset with you, why can't we keep that kind of science here and grow that in Chicago? Mm-hmm. And so as I was leaving Pixis and trying to think about my next opportunity, I started thinking about like, how do I help those organizations? What is it that is um, preventing Chicago from keeping that kind of science here? And so as I started meeting with investors and venture capitalists and thinking about my next opportunity, the comment that they said to me over and over again was, often companies in biotechs in Chicago don't 
know what it means to be a Series A company. They don't have the right infrastructure in place. And number two, if you really want to grow Chicago, you have to stay here. Mm -hmm. And that's what made me realize that there is something really special here. They just need help from folks who've been doing drug development for decades to help them get to that next round. And that's what we're starting to see now. We're starting to see people come back to Chicago because there's opportunities that are opening up. We're seeing people who are willing to leave the coast and move to Chicago because they know if one opportunity doesn't work, another one will come by. Mm -hmm. And so the momentum is growing and it all led and stemmed from Pixis Oncology, really, when I saw great science that ended up um, coming from the university and, and moving out to the coast. Yeah, and we often talk about, you know, on the podcast, just the distribution of the innovation ecosystem and the growth of talent organically in great cities like Chicago and other parts of the country. And I think in the last decade, a lot of the... Um, academic institutions have evolved their business model to be more focused on recruiting in these star faculty yes. that are not only great at doing science, but great at um, spinning out companies that solve problems for patients and want to be actively involved in that, that process. And so we definitely have seen that. I think one of that bigger questions early on was, um, do you have the the managerial talent? Do you have the regulatory expertise to get a, a drug approved? Do you have enough talent uh, with experience to become, you know, a chief medical officer? And it's been interesting because in Chicago now, three years in, with um, this vibrant hub and you know people interacting both you know in a organized way, you know, uh, certainly here within Portal, but across the ecosystem, and in a serendipitous way through various events, it's a lot tighter and the are a lot more connected than they were. And that, I think, has de-risked the ecosystem a little bit to, to begin to find the phenomena that you're describing, which was the, the statement was none of those people are here. But it turns out a lot of those people actually have always been here, but many of them have been commuting to other parts of the country to do their work. And the more Chicago's been de-risked, the more we're starting to see some of those individuals come forward and say, hey, I'm here and I'd like to do more here locally, especially because I see valuable opportunities here that are equally valuable to what I could be doing in any other part of the world. That's the thing. It's not like, I, I think local pride has to be coupled with world-class capability. If, if they're not on if, if this technology, if this not opportunity or this problem that we're solving is not, you know, kind of at the same level of what you'd see in a Boston or the Bay Area, then it's a nice thing to do, but it's not possible. It's the coupling of, you know, this realization that, look, I want to be here, whether you're a faculty member or, or a uh, you know, CEO, I want to be here. There's some raw materials that they need to be able to do the good work that they're doing. Um, but so many times that's an, you know, an overlooked piece of the the puzzle, or or an often lamented statement that well, we just don't have that that talent here. One of the coolest things I've seen has been the emergence of these people that have always been here, but now are able to choose a world class opportunity, and it happens to be local, and it looks a lot like what they'd be doing in Boston, but here it's you know in a place that they are familiar with and, and want to be, and the beginning of kind of, kind of this returnee phenomenon, people that like to be in a given city, maybe they grew up there, 
um, and they want to come back. And now there's something to come back to. Now, maybe if we fast forward a little bit, you know, our ambitions you know, move beyond Chicago. We feel that our, our other cities and other parts of the country that have this same opportunity, the local pride coupled with world-class capabilities, and, and a city that people want to you know, live in and, and grow and are, are proud, proud of. Can you talk a little bit about your vision around EX Cubed and maybe some of the uh, opportunities for using the model to uh, de-risk some of the ecosystems that we're moving into, like Atlanta and Houston? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you and I have talked a lot about how 2023 was a proof of concept for EX Cubed. Is this a model that can work? And let's use Chicago as our our proof of concept. And I think we both agree that this is a model, not only that can work, but it's needed and we can scale it. And so when I look at 2024, I look at it as an opportunity to really scale what the playbook that we've created in Chicago, and we can do it in cities like Houston and Atlanta. And there is talent there and there is great science coming from these cities. And so being patient, spending time in those different hubs and thinking about how do we work with individuals who are from those locations who maybe have gone out and now are really excited about coming back to those home cities, taking what we've done in Chicago and growing the, and growing those biotech companies in the Houstons and the Atlantas will help people come back to those locations. Mm-hmm. And and so I do think that there, my, my vision is to use the playbook that I've done in Chicago and replicate that in Houston and Atlanta. And so for instance, this week, I'm so excited to be able to go to, uh, to, to spend some time with some of the new companies in Houston, these biotechs that have such amazing science and that could help people in an area that there's high unmet need and help them grow their organizations, help them get to the next round of funding and show that we can continuously do that so that we can bring the talent to Houston and do that same thing in Atlanta um, is my ultimate goal, is how do we take this playbook and replicate it in those cities? Yeah, and the other thing that we're seeing as we build Portal, even our own core team, we are hiring in some world-class talent, you know, at the leadership level, at the scientific operations level, at the entrepreneurship and venture level in these ecosystems. And that's gratifying. It's really cool to see people that, you know, for lack of a better description, you know, look like us and are aligned with our values and, and equally capable of going anywhere. They could go to Boston, they could go to the Bay Area, but they now have a place where they can grow and scale. So you've got the beginnings of these ecosystems in place and then helping the companies build around the talent that could be recruited in. It does start, I think, with the team that we've built and that we've been very fortunate to put in place as we expand in Houston and Boston and Atlanta that is very organic. It's people of the ecosystem. You know, we want to be very authentic. Mm -hmm. And I think that authenticity and honoring the unique um, geographical 
cultural differences, even if they're subtle, will be important moving forward um, as well. Those are some of the things that I've noticed early on is that the response has been very, very strong. It's not just the talent that wants to stay or the faculty that says, hey, I've got a company and that last company was in Boston. I want to do it here in Atlanta. Um, now I can because i got a lab, i got capital, I've got a team. Um, but, but you're also seeing the um, investors that are looking for exposure in new markets or local uh, family offices that have deep, deep uh, city ties wherever they're located that oftentimes represent sticky money. So, I mean, a lot of the investments we're making here in Chicago were co-invested with you know several great family offices that are not only interested in um, really strong financial returns from a venture perspective, but they see an opportunity for... Um, you know, growing Chicago's strength, you know, as an economic center as well. As we close out the conversation, you know, when you think about what's next and people following behind you, if you, if you think about our audience um, and our goal to try to um, touch the hearts and minds of individuals that maybe weren't thinking about biotech as a career path for them um, or a way to engage or partner, um, what advice would you have for the next generation um, that wants to follow in your footsteps um, in pursuing an opportunity in biotech? Yeah, a few things. One, I always say to younger, the younger folks, the role you're in or the, the role you're going to take on doesn't define your entire career path, right? Like, be open to experiencing new types of roles. Be willing to network and really put yourself out there. I don't think I... It was like any magic bullet. It wasn't anything that said, this is where you're gonna end up. Mm-hmm. But what I truly believe, the reason I'm where I am today is I was always open. Mm-hmm. I was open to learning yeah. and I was open. You said yes to yeah. those. Yeah. I said yes yeah. to the roles. Mm-hmm. Like, I, And I always said, I'm willing to roll up my sleeves and get messy. Mm-hmm. Biotech is a messy yeah. place. Yeah. You have to be willing to do a lot of different types of work. Mm-hmm. And you have you may you may say, well, that's not what I'm here for. That's not the role I took. Mm-hmm. But that's okay because you're continuously learning. Yeah. And as long as you're open to that, um, I know this is a very long-winded answer, but I would say that it's just it ultimately is about being open to the experience. One last big swing, looking out over the next 10 years, what do you want to be able to say 10 years out that happened or you touched or was impacted through EX Cubed or just your own journey? Yeah, I would love for someone to say, I didn't have to move to the coast to do to work in biotech and impact a patient, impact a person. I would love for them to be able to say, it's because of EX Cubed that we were able to grow biotech in cities like Chicago, Atlanta, Houston, and others, where folks sometimes feel like they have to leave in order to have a role in finding a treatment for a patient. If they can stay where they truly feel like they belong, where their family is, where their friends are, that will look like success for me. Really cool, Ruthu. I mean, it's an honor and privilege to work with you every day. I'm inspired by you and um, keep up, you know, your keep saying yes to those opportunities um, and the world will be better off for it. Oh, thank you, John. It's been such a pleasure working with you too. And I can't wait for the next 10 years. Let's do it. Let's do it. (laughs) Thanks for joining us today. It was another great episode. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with our guests today and were inspired the way I was. Looking forward to reconvening again in two weeks. Please visit our website at labratstounicorns.com. We welcome any of your 
comments, feedback, ideas. If you want me to ask certain questions of guests or you have ideas of people that we should be interviewing. That is all goodbye.